0: Morning. Good morning. If you're new or visiting here this morning, I'm Xander. I'm the youth director here at First Presbyterian Church of Santa Ana, and this morning I want to talk to us about uh, a topic called unforgiveness. And I want to hopefully be able to inform us all on unforgiveness by looking at a story of forgiveness. And and if I can, if I can if I may. I'm going to ask for y'all's permission this morning, because we're going to go a little over. Is that okay? Can I preach from the Bible this morning? Is that okay? Yeah? Amen. Amen. So, who in here has, say, student loans? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. Who in here sort of owes money back, like PJ, that 20 bucks you owe your mom the other day, right? right? Who, who who sort of has borrowed money and sort of owes some of that back? Who's ever done that? Yeah. Yeah. I dare not say how much I owe in student loans. Two so, two master's degrees, one bachelor's degree, and then just between Vanessa and I, just a lot of student loans, right? Right. But uh, that money at some point needs to get paid, like that has to get paid back. You got to pay that back, PJ. right? Right. Anyone who wants to, anyone, I know I kind of mentioned, but anyone at least dare to say how much they owe? Ah, no, right? Nah. She's like, no, I don't want to, do. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that sort of, I would say for myself, embarrassment of how much I actually owe sort of embodies what I hope will make sense as we talk about um, unforgiveness this morning, all right? Because this morning I want to focus on how Jesus encourages us to forgive continually through a story he tells in Matthew and how holding unforgiveness in our hearts can cause destruction, keep us in the past, and fuel bitter relationships. So no, I'll be reading scripture from a couple of translations today, from the NLT, the New Living Translation, the message, and I'm going to have questions scattered all throughout my talk that I hope will get us thinking about this topic of unforgiveness. And I want to share some connections that came up for me that I think will at least launch us into thinking about this. With that said, I don't have all the answers, ladies and gentlemen, church, I don't have all the answers. And I'm working life out just as much as the next person, all right? Hence, if you're, try- so if you're trying to follow along this morning and you're trying to follow along in your Bible, my big suggestion this morning is, is take notes. Uh, that'll just help us all out instead of maybe one or two of us getting lost, yeah? Amen? Amen. Amen. So before we head into the heart of our scripture reading, as we heard Carol so eloquently uh, you know, did for us just moments ago, um, uh, I want to be able to just to go back few chapters, and kind of see, you know, what's already happened, okay? If we take a look at the subheadings in some of our Bibles, because I know we all do that, we look at the subheading, no, I'm not going to read it, no, not that one. Oh yeah, that one's for me, that one's for me, right? If we take a look at some of the subheadings in our Bibles, we see that Jesus has a few encounters already, all right? In chapter 15, Jesus gives us a lesson on purity to the Pharisees and religious leaders saying, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that came out, that come out of your mouth. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are all what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. I always get this question, well, what if I curse? Well, I always go back to here, and I go, well, you know, is that what you say? Does that hurt somebody? Is that, you know, sort of defile you, what, what comes out? You know, is that defiling? Is that a word, Defiling? Still in chapter 15, Jesus does a few healings and feeds the 5,000. Again, we're going back. In chapter 16, Jesus has another encounter with the Pharisees where the Pharisees demand that Jesus perform a miracle for them. Furthermore, Jesus warns his disciples about the Pharisees and then we see the disciples sort of arguing because they didn't bring any bread. Peter then gets his name changed. Jesus predicts his death. Six days pass and now we're in chapter 17. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. Peter does what Peter does and And as the three of them experience sort of this transformation with Jesus, and they see this bright light kind of cover Jesus' face, Peter opens his mouth and yells something out. What he yells, I do not know. (laughs) But that's Peter. Peter just kind of yells it out, right? In Matthew 17, 5, it says, A bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Afterwards, Jesus helps a demon-possessed boy, and Jesus predicts his death again. It's about, that. it's about this time that Jesus and his disciples arrive in Capernaum and we get to chapter 18. Chapter 18 starts off with the disciples honestly, just really honestly, being super curious. And they ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, unless you turn from your sins and become like little kids, you will never get to, into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little kid or child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus takes mention to a child's trust or kid's trust in Christ and the simplicity that a child brings in trusting or being in a relationship with Jesus. Then there's the parable of the lost sheep. Then there's what it means to work something out with someone that you have a problem with. right? You got a problem with somebody, and Jesus goes into this and says... And the text reads this way, and this is the message version. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him or her. Work it out between the two of you. If he or she listens, you've made a friend. If he or she won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and then try again. If you still won't listen or if she won't listen still, tell the church. If he or she won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him or her with the need for repentance. And here's the key. And offer, again, God's forgiving love. And offer, again, God's forgiving love. Finally, we get to our main text here, and and here we hear from Peter again. Oh, we just hear from Peter all the time. All the time we hear from Peter. And he goes, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? All right? Seven times? No, 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 not seven times. Jesus replied, but 77 times. Everyone say 77 times. (laughs) Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. As we think about what it means to forgive and and unforgiveness, and as we take a look at the story that you tell Jesus, as a story about forgiveness, and we hopefully may understand unforgiveness, may your spirit be here this morning. As we unpack it, as we read through it, And then, even as we lead into more worship and and celebrate you and remember you in communion, we thank you, God. In your name, we ask and pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, so that's a little bit of the context. Just kind of going back a few chapters, just kind of seeing and unpacking, preaching straight out of the Bible, and just kind of seeing, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Where are the connections? Again, I'm going to have a lot of questions. I'm going to have. Hopefully, in in my brain, some connections that I want to share with us, and maybe you guys are making connections, and that's my prayer for you this morning. Uh, Even as I get energetic, and maybe some of you are thinking, Sandra, you need to slow down, because you are speaking too fast, right? I'm going to do my best to slow down, because I am naturally energetic, right? and I'm excited about what Jesus has for us this morning. Is that okay? Is that okay? Amen. In this passage, we have a few characters, and this is chapter 18 now. We have a few characters: Peter and Jesus. And in the story, Jesus tells us we have a king. And if I'm gonna, I'm gonna name these characters. I'm gonna name the king John. Is that okay? John? Okay. And we have a servant. I'm gonna name the servant Ben. Oh, Ben. <laughs> and then we have a friend of the servant. I'm gonna name that servant PJ. Oh, sorry, PJ. But this is not to say or, or put anything on these guys. But it's just it was easier for me to make sense of the story. All right. And a group, and then there's also another character, a group of more servants. I won't give them names. <laughs> Jesus tells the story in this way, and this is from the New Living Translation version. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. That's verse 23. We're going through the verses. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in, in who owed him millions of dollars, verse 24. He couldn't pay, so this master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his, his kids, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Think of it this way. In today's time, if you owe money, say like a student loan, and that person, he or she or me, cannot pay that back, that student, that company can, can or even has the right to go after all of what I have. Yeah? So the king in the story, Jesus is telling the story, the king in the story does what he knows what to do in order to get his money back, so he's going to sell them all. He's going to sell the servants. He's going to sell his kids, he's going to sell his wife, hide your kids, hide your wife, right? And he's going to sell it all because the king, I want my money back. Okay, But the man fell down before him, the servant, Ben, fell down before the king, John, right? And begged him, please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled, the king, John, was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. That means this servant now, Ben, has no more money to owe. Zero. Money owed. Nada. And the servant was released to continue on with his day as if he didn't owe anything to begin with. A clean slate. A clean slate. The moment... The servant is forgiven of his debt. It made me think about my own loans. It made me think, wow, man, if I just was debt-free, if I had no money to owe, my life would just be that much freer. Right? There's not a weight on my shoulder. I would be thrilled and overjoyed. But when the man left, verse 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. PJ, PJ, you owed Ben a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now, I have a few questions here. I got some questions here. Ben, first off, what are you thinking, man? What you thinking? Right? You have no more money to owe. And why are you so bent on getting your money back? The money Ben owes to him is, if you think about it, he owed the king a million dollars, yeah. and, and, and PJ's owing Ben only a thousand, significantly less than what he owed to the king, and all I could think of is that Ben, or the servant, was only thinking about himself. Mm. How often do we just only think about ourselves sometimes? Right? I'm human, I do it, that's what I'm saying. What if there's a connection to the reference back to chapter 15, 19 through 20? Could Ben in his thoughts just despise PJ because he owes him money? Could his heart just be so filled with evil thoughts? Could this servant be really so, could really just be so corrupted? Chapter 15, from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Could it be that Ben was so consumed by these things in his heart? Or could it be that Ben is holding on to unforgiveness even though he himself was just forgiven? I'll say it another way. In church, you hear me look this way. I'll say it another way. Could it be that Ben is holding a grudge with this other person, with PJ, even after Ben was released from a grudge that was held over him? If you're in church this morning, who do you have a grudge with? Who are you wishing to grab by the throat and shake him up? It's like, give me my money. Who do you got a grudge with? (laughs) Right? We see this grudge play out even further in the story. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more. Be patient with me, this PJ begging to bend. Be patient with me, and I will pay it. I will pay it. But his creditor, Ben, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Then I thought some more. As the end of verse 30, then I thought some more about this. This servant, Ben, still needs money because he's a servant. I imagine servants, even that time, don't have a lot of money. I wonder if the situation could have been handled better. And because I'm always trying to make connections, I wonder if he had just handled the situation in a way that verses 15 through 20 details out for us. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that there's a presence of, of witnesses. Now to keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If you won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. Offer again and again God's forgiving love. But it didn't work out this way, did it? Did it, Jeff? It didn't. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that they had happened, because for all we know, these servants didn't get forgiven, only just this one guy, right? Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. And, and I'll say it again. The king, says, the king says, you evil servant, I forgave you of that tremendous debt. He didn't say just debt, I forgive you of that debt. He made it a point to say that tremendous debt. Like, you, you owe me a lot of money, Carol, Right? You owe me a lot, and I forgave you. So shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you, verse 33? And one of the things that stood out to me about the king in this story is that not only did he sort of release or forgive or or freed Ben from his debt, not only did he forgive Ben for not paying him back, but doesn't it seem like the king kind of forgot about it? He didn't hold it over him and said, hey, you owe me this money still, like we sometimes still do. Like, remember when he did that? Did you remember when he did that? Remember when I came through for you and you owe me this? The king kind of forgot about it. So early on in the series, because the Underground has been talking about unforgiveness, the whole month of October has been about unforgiveness. And this is sort of the capstone to it. And early on in the series, we got talking about the difference between forgiveness and forgetness forgetting forgetness Ooh, forgetting and how the two are different up to now we have we've been discussing forgiveness by definition and i googled this by definition forgiveness can mean to remit a debt but forgetting deals with trust and a healing process the king in the story has chosen to forgive Ben and reestablishes a trust in him the first go around and as i've understood the, and as i've understood the scriptures Forgetting and forgiveness are two different things. Where Jesus tells us to forgive seven times 70, forgetting deals with reestablishing a trust typically for another person. And depending on the severity of the situation, it often involves a degree of healing. Healing and trust happens over time. Everyone say over time. In a focus on the family article by a gentleman named Matthew J Y, he writes this about a marital situation he and his wife found themselves in. Found themselves in. And the difference between forgiveness and forgetting, quote, it doesn't mean she just swept it under the rug and said, thanks for letting me know, just don't, don't let it happen again. Forgiveness does not mean forgetness. Being forgiven does not mean that your spouse would just forget about whatever it was that required the act of forgiving. Depending on the situation, it may require a time of healing, a time of rebuilding that trust that you all once had. The end of Jesus' story ends with, verse 34, then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The key phrase here is from your heart. And Carol kind of emphasized that without knowing it. From your heart. And while we're at it, I also thought how harsh this story kind of ends. Like, Jesus, is gonna, God is going to do that to you too. What? not? God's good, God. And I wanted to, I was thinking well, I'm gonna try and flower it up, make it all pretty. Right? Like, like God's good, God all the time. Right? Right? But it it kind of rang it kind of rang true for me. Like this is serious. Like this is serious. And so when Jesus is telling this story, he's kind of saying, hey, God's gonna do this to you too if you don't continue to forgive because it's that serious. Jesus didn't flower it up that forgiveness and unforgiveness can be so good or so hurtful, harmful, or not so good. God wants us to embrace the seriousness that is forgiving one another. Jesus wants us to understand that unforgiveness is harmful. Out of this story, ladies and gentlemen, a few points that I think ring true on this topic of unforgiveness that I sort of just want to share with you all as we cap out this series of unforgiveness. And these three points come from a pastor named Nathaniel Wall from Alpine Bible Church. And he describes on his blog these three points of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness focuses my time and energy on things that destroy while forgiveness focuses on things that bring life. Unforgiveness, if you carry that, it'll turn your attention, Daniela, to things that destroy instead of things that should bring life. Two, unforgiveness traps me in the past while forgiveness frees me from the past and looks to the future. Forgiveness deals with letting go of the past while unforgiveness keeps us rooted in it. With Ben's debt, that was something that was, oh, that's past tense. It's almost cliche to hear that forgiveness is for me and less for the person who hurt me, but yeah, that cliche, it's it's more for me and less for the person that hurt me. Hello, that's still true. Even in the story, that Jesus tells it's true. The king did not have to forgive Ben because he was moved by his, but because he was moved by his plea, the king was so convicted in the sense that I'm going to forgive you. The king in the story certainly had something to lose if you think about it. I mean, he didn't have to forgive Ben. And I started asking myself, well, what does the king have to lose? Well, first off, he'd lose his money. <laughs> it's a lot of money to be losing, even in this day. The servant was so corrupted by grudges of his own he missed a miracle that just happened for him. I'll say it one more time. The servant was so corrupted by the grudges of his own that he missed a miracle that just happened for him. What if there's miracles out there happening for us, but we're missing them because of the grudges that we hold? What if there are miracles happening out there for us, but we're missing them because of the grudges that we hold? The third point is unforgiveness fuels fighting while forgiveness fuels friendships. What friendships or relationships in our lives are being destroyed because we want our money back? What relationships out there do we miss having? You ever find yourself saying, man, I miss, I miss Billy. I miss, I miss, I miss Geraldine. That's my sister's name. We we see all these three elements play out in the story of the the servant, the story that Jesus tells us. And then, yeah, I see all three of these elements in my own life. Are we seeing any of these elements here in our church? Who in this church are we not forgiving? In conclusion, Jesus encourages us to forgive continually, seven times seventy. Now I'm going to invite Jesse up. We're going to go into worship. We're going to sing a song that we've been singing all throughout the month of October. And Jesus encouraged us to forgive continually, seven times 70, because unforgiveness can destroy our lives, keep us rooted in the past, and ruin our relationships. Let us not forget the ultimate miracle of forgiveness, and that's Jesus dying on the cross rising again from the grave and ascending back into heaven that we may have eternal life. Let us not forget that ultimate miracle and sign of forgiveness from Jesus. He's still alive. Let us not forget our other two characters from the story, Jesus and Peter, because we've talked about all the other characters from the story. But I want to remind you that Peter later on would experience this ultimate forgiveness from Jesus. right? Denying Jesus three times. And then later on in the story, Jesus brings Peter back. He brings him back in. And later on in the story, after denying Jesus three times, Jesus brings him back in. And this is what happens. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? To borrow from White, in this focus on a family article again, he writes: "Just remember, God has forgiven you more times than you will ever have the opportunity to forgive someone else." That should blow your mind. That in your lifetime, you will not outforgive God. Starting now, living with unforgiveness is a figurative weight that eventually becomes real. And heavier with time and age. So take care of it now. So I ask us, just as Jesus did in this story, or I'm sorry, just as Peter did, (laughs) how many times should we forgive someone?